welcome to the latest Replatform podcast. So this is episode 21. And we've got a, a, a really important topic we're covering today, something that's absolutely fundamental to getting uh, enterprise e-commerce right. So we're going to be talking about enterprise e-commerce search requirements and best practices. And um, we're going to be joined uh, by Clavu. So I know Paul will introduce um, uh, the gents from Clavu in a minute. But first of all, Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, like We talked about this so many times and lots of people yeah. on, on the Ecamm chat chat I've done it as well as so that so many websites have a broken search experience and and even some of the fundamentals uh, are wrong on on big retailers and it's such a critical part of replatforming to get right so really looking forward to getting into the details absolutely so yeah so um over to you I know you are going to introduce you know the uh, the team at Clayboo a bit better than me so I've been working with Clayview for about five years as a consultant. So initially, uh, Nilo and I met in New York at one of the Meet Magento events. I think uh, Nilo was doing a talk and then we ended up having a chat around all things search and some of the other providers out there and Clayview's product. And then I implemented Clayview on one of my clients and then eventually Nile asked me to come on board as an advisor. And then I've been working with them in differing capacities ever since. Um, so Nile and Niraj, thanks for joining us. Can you give us a bit of an introduction to both yourselves and Clayview? Hey Paul, hey James, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, very shortly, I'm one of the co-founders of Clevu. We're a Finnish global company. And, uh, you know, our mission is to provide true discovery platform for retailers to kind of level up against the Amazon of the world. Um, and at the end of the day, what, what we are really aiming for with, with the data science and linguistics, which we want to, of course, hide as complexities, but the mission is to connect shoppers with relevant products that they want to buy so that the retailers who are our customers can the, can get the most out of you know their their money their marketing and their efforts um yeah and and hope you all are safe and well but let's get started um thank you great um Nuraj, do you want to introduce yourself as well yeah <clears throat> hey paul and james um yeah uh so this is neeraj and uh I'm uh, one of the co-founders and CTO at Clevu. Uh, to give um, a little background, um, I did my doctorate in the field of natural language processing. And I have about 17 years of uh, experience uh, working with the semantic search related applications. Clevu is all about semantic search and making search intelligent. Um, yeah. so. Yeah, that's that's the sort of my introduction. Yeah, brilliant. Um, no, that's great. And then, uh, so I'll ask the first question, um, and this is to both of you. Um, but Nilo, maybe I can imagine you'll probably want to answer this one. Um, so, why should retailers be investing in a premium search solution? Like, why is search so important? It's it's a good question. Thanks, Paul. Um, I think the if you look at the overall site conversion on almost any mid enterprise to enterprise retailers it's between one and 3%. Now, and the search-led conversion, you know, over and time and again, data show that it is three to five X higher when the consumers are actually going through search on the site. Now, if the search is fixed properly, that's bound to give you impact on the overall site conversion. And it means the, the same marketing dollar 
that you are investing, it, it would go much longer and it's it's a lot better ROI overall. So yeah, you mentioned about NLP and I think that's a really, really interesting background because the way that, that people are interacting with search is changing the type of language queries. It's not just because of voice search. I just think people's evolution of search and comfortability with the search engines is changing. So I don't know this is a key part of your background and offering at Clayview. I'd really like to uh, explore a bit more about why you think NLP is important. What, what have you learned? What have you discovered? Um, you know, what, what drives um, what you're doing with NLP and how are you finding that improving search result relevancy? Uh, Niraj, do you want to go with that? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, James. So when we have been uh, like, you know, looking at the logs of our searches, how people are searching them, and we actually see that uh, there are very common things which are missing in the catalogs. Uh, I, I gave you a few examples. Uh, somebody may be searching for the term curtain, whereas in the catalog, it's, writ it's written as traps. Uh, somebody may be searching uh, for a smartphone, whereas in the catalog, it may be written, it's an intelligent phone or the vice versa. Right? Um, these are some very basic examples here, uh, which are usually missing in the catalogs and merchants usually learn them uh, once they have seen uh, those terms found um, uh, in their Google Analytics, for example. So what they, um, what they usually do is that once they have found out these things in the Google Analytics, they would come back and they will add those terms in their catalog. However, by that time, the customer is gone. So um, our mission was that can we actually add this kind of data, which is, uh, which is expected from the customers to search. We can think about like, you know, another example where uh, somebody is uh, searching for like, you know, outdoor furniture, where they do not have any clue that, you know, what is good for the outdoor furniture as outdoor furniture. So here outdoor could mean something referring to a garden, something referring to patio. And when we talk about furniture, it could simply means a chair or a bench uh, or a table that will go out. Now, usually merchants don't annotate their catalog with the words such as uh, garden is same as outdoor. What we basically do uh, at Clevu is that when we receive this catalog, we would be actually adding two to three times more data to the catalog and merchants don't have to do anything. This is all happening automatically and whereby we are adding uh, the synonyms, the noun synonyms or adjective synonyms or even identifying the categories in which those products fit in. Like, you know, as I said, a chair is a furniture. So we'll be adding furniture as a category. And similarly, if we spot garden as a word there, then we will annotate that as an outdoor uh, area and that will go in the catalog. This simply uh, makes it easy for customers to search. Uh, it brings more relevant results and ultimately it reduces the zero results. If I may just kind of supplement this a little bit further, 
that overall what we have been doing is we are doing catalog processing. It means when we get the catalog, we enhance this catalog with all sorts of you know magic, I would say. And at the query time also, we actually process the query to ensure that we understand the nuances. And, and, and finally, one thing I would add that as the world is moving towards more of the conversations or natural languages in the interaction, um, what we have been also adding is the called subject identifier, where we actually identify the key subject from the long query or a long sentence even. And to, so, so that the system would understand what's really customer is after. Let's say if you search for uh, dining table or table lamp, you are actually after the second noun here. So first of all, how do you identify the key noun, which is table lamp here? or dining table. And in these both examples, um, considering linguistics and English here, when you write two nouns, table lamp particularly, you're always looking for the second noun, which is the dominant noun when it went from the customers or the query point of view. So we write rules based on the language to parse the query as well as the semantics behind the query as well. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction because there's a few um, examples I've seen on sites where that that ability to to pass and understand the 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 search intent fails, and I think this is where this is such an important part. So a good example I used to um, use when I was working with Samsung is dual camera phones, and so many sites would return cameras first rather than phones because camera was ahead in the query than the noun phone they weren't passing it to understand that dual camera phone is a phone primarily with the attribute of dual camera. Uh, and you see that in other areas such as when people are looking for very specific queries, like you know, price related ones, like it's show me dresses less than a hundred pounds is that inability to pull out those additional elements and, and be able to give a more refined set of uh, queries. So it sounds like there's something that you've been building in the engine to be able to understand what the real intent is rather than just looking at keywords. Exactly. And then it actually learns from the consumers. No linguistics can actually solve all the problems. So we actually learn from the consumers as we go. So with every query, every click, every every checkout, there's a learning embedded back to the NLP feedback engine as well. And it is also supplemented by the tools we provide whereby retailers can further augment this NLP just for the R store, I mean, and also merchandise the products. And that's where it, it, the, the combination of all of these is, is very strong, let alone, um, you know, NLP working. I think there would be uh, not optimal results for retail as well as let alone data science working. It wouldn't get to the maximum ROI. But when you combine data science and linguistics, that gives you powerful combination um okay that that makes sense um i have a question so i know that um clover works lots of different types of retailers do you think that nlp so obviously nlp adds value in the context of some of the areas we talked about where a retailer might have a more complex uh catalog or where the queries um might kind of lend themselves to needing that additional layer of input um how does nlp add value to smaller retailers and is it does it have the same kind of need 
Um, again, it's it's a good question, and and uh, it sometimes, uh, you know, the, the the catalog is of course very important here. But let's say even the smaller retailer, um, if if they are selling let's say wine glasses or or glasses, and and if they are collecting good reviews from the uh, or sufficient number of reviews from the customers, then we use those reviews to also further enhance the results for the customers. And in that kind of scenario, learning from the sentiment of their shoppers would help them to enhance search results. So I think the significance of providing relevant results, whether it's a small or big retailer, I think is there. Uh, of course, when your catalog is very big, if it's very complex, um, then then the, the significance or the criticality of NLP just you know exponentially increases. Um, however, I would not see why a smaller retailer would also not benefit by bringing most relevant products to the consumers. And the bit that I'm quite interested in is, is where do you see the balance of importance for retailers? Because um, NLP, I think it makes sense. It's relevant to everybody. Um, obviously, the impact it can have on a huge, huge catalogue with you know, millions of searches versus a smaller retailer of thousands is obviously larger. But it all starts with with accuracy of data. So I'd be keen to get your viewpoints on how critical product data accuracy is versus what you're able to achieve with your tool in the machine learning to naturally cleanse and improve it. So, um, you know, where does poor product data screw up the ability to to, to do that kind of enrichment? And, and what are the things that retailers should think about to get decent data for search? Yeah. Um... Uh, Nile, is it, is it okay if I answer this? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, James, I, I think uh, your question is uh, really interesting. Um, I think one of the things that we have noticed uh, in, in recent times is that people actually, um, they, they do not actually know what exactly they are looking for. And sometimes they would come and they would search for things um, there's, there's something called symptomatic search, uh, whereby people only know what are the symptoms. Uh, like, you know, they have a headache and uh, they just want to get some medicine. So they, in, in a search box, they wouldn't be typing the name of the medicine there, but instead they would be actually saying uh, something that cures my headache. And, and system has to uh, learn. Uh, from that, that which medicine is good for the headache. Now, where do you get this data from? As Nila said, reviews, uh, they, they play a very important role because reviews are the, uh, we, we consider them as cold test, uh, where people are telling you how exactly they are using this data. So uh, somebody may be writing that, you know, I bought this for my uh, two-year-old child. Uh, now, two-year-old, this information may not be there anywhere in the catalog, but uh, you know somebody has mentioned this in the catalog. So next time if somebody's coming and saying that, hey, I'm looking for a, a gift for an infant, our system, it being a semantic search, would understand that you know two-year-old could be classified as an infant. So that's why this particular product is good for this child. So uh, if, if the question is that, you know, um, where where do we get this data from? Uh, yes, catalog is very important. Uh, as much as you can add there, 
about your domain it's very very helpful uh, however reviews should also be looked taken into consideration and like and if you if you give access of them to us then we can add a lot of value there yeah that makes perfect sense and in terms of the the value that the machine learning can get what from your experience of working across a lot of different retailers what are the behaviors and actions that should influence the decision making when it comes to things like boosting uh, products? So there's obviously a huge amount of data that a machine can learn from. Are there specific subsets of, of, of that data that really have the best impact, such as you know, product click-through rates, uh, et cetera? You know, what, what have you found? Yeah, um, yes, uh, there are uh, actually many venues where a machine learning is useful. Uh, for example, uh, to learn. Uh, what products are in trend overall on the website, um, which categories uh, should be boosted more when particular search terms are fired, um, how, how do you personalize results? So in that case, you are actually looking at uh, how customers are actually searching on a website. Uh, in, in real time, you are actually understanding what is the preference of this customer. Um, if he's after a particular brand, if he's after uh, a particular, uh, uh, if he's searching products within a particular price range or something. Um, so to, to, to identify even uh, the products which are relevant to the merchants, the personalization, sorry, the, the, the machine learning is, is used quite heavily here. W one of the problems I want to highlight here is, is all about, we call them, um, core category versus accessories. What do we mean by that? So if somebody says that, uh, if somebody searching for the term iPhone, um, how do you know uh, if the customer is after uh, a particular uh, cover, a particular accessory of that phone, or he's looking for the phone itself? Well, looking at the keyword, it looks that you know you should be showing only the phone, um, but how do you know which category has phones in it? Now, through the machine learning, uh, we collect the data that after typing iPhone, what type of products customers are clicking on. So that gives us some indication that, you know, this particular category would be holding the data that most of the customers are after. So that's where the machine learning is used to predict that this is the category uh, which should be boosted higher up in the search result when somebody searching for the term iPhone. From the actions perspective, I would I would say that uh, you know if somebody is signing up for Clevu, um, we request them that if they have any historical data, to share it with us. Uh, they should do it so that we can pre-train our models and machine doesn't have to wait long to to learn about uh, this insight set that, that I just mentioned here. Um, there are tools available, as Nile said, in, in Clevo Merchant Center, which they can use to uh, override uh, some of the machine learning. But I would say that, you know, please rest assured uh, and give machine some time to learn. And uh, we are very confident that, you know, it will give you much more better results. So I was just going to ask um, where you would recommend kind of manually um, merchandising results and kind of trying to factor in things like sales, inventory, any other kind of metrics or attributes that are important to retailers. 
Like, where would you recommend this kind of manual intervention? That, that's one of the use cases where uh, the, the manual recommendations, sorry, the manual promotions would be would be quite useful. Or the other occasion is that you've introduced like you know a new series uh, or uh, a totally new range of products and um, for certain keywords you you want to promote them so that's also something where you can come in the merchant center and say that hey i i want to promote all these products so you 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 are not waiting for machine to pick up uh, from the user trend rather you are actually helping machine to take a step forward by providing this manual input that makes sense. So I guess there'll be there'll always be some kind of anomalies where you want to kind of ensure that a product's kind of pinned for specific keywords, or like you you almost have like commercial considerations that counter um, yeah. popularity. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. What were you going to ask, James? The bit I was interested just to pull back. You were talking about um, the importance of training the models, which makes sense because machine learning is is dumb until it's got data on which to run models. So how what historical data do you suggest and recommend that e-commerce teams should have available to put into a new search tool to help it learn quickly and and what what are the methods that they can import that data because i think a lot of times people probably wouldn't know what they should be getting out and how they should be providing it uh, yeah th thank you for asking that question james uh, yes um so what we would be requiring is is the basic data that that they will usually find in google analytics or uh, their existing analytics portals. We are looking for the popular search terms, uh, what is popular on their website, if they can give us uh, the popular search terms, that will be very helpful. If they can share with us what customers have been clicking on on their website. So after searching something, what they have clicked on, that's something if they can provide. And we also want to know what is selling more on their website because that is that will give us some head start with uh, what is popular on their website. Now, if we talk about in which format they can provide to us, we are usually asking them to provide us CSV files because that's that's the common format that uh, you can download such kind of data uh, in. So if they can submit uh, this kind of data to us, then we can pre-train our engine. Excellent, thank you. That makes sense. Um, so another question. So. Over the last year or so, there's been a bigger shift towards headless and PWA um, within e-commerce. Um, how can Clayview work in a headless uh, build? Like how, how would the integration look compared to just a standard um, integration? Um, uh, yes, Paul, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, headless and PWA, uh, I think those are the buzzwords and uh, we, we do receive quite many inquiries on them. Uh, if it is okay, I would like to start uh, answering my question on the headless question first. Um, it's, it's important to uh, understand that unlike traditional systems um, where the pages are fully prepared uh, on the server side, in the headless integration, uh, we are basically talking about keeping data separate from the presentation layer. So in other words, uh, data is obtained from servers, but the rendering is actually handled at the client side. Now, when we talk about Clevu, uh, there are three different ways how the integration can be done. Number one, uh, and this is our uh, 
usual method. This is how customers do it. Uh, it's called Clevu plug and play uh, JS based integration. Now, what do we mean by that? Um, so here, if somebody is downloading our plugin and they're installing it, um, our plugins would actually install a JavaScript, integrate a JavaScript uh, in the store. And we are also installing some ready-made uh, JavaScript-based templates for quick search and for the search results landing page as well. Um, with this option, what happens is that when a shopper is firing a search query uh, on their website, on their computer, in the search box, our JavaScript, which is loaded on their system, uh, would fire a call to our backends uh, in cloud. And our cloud will, our servers will respond back with the JSON data. This data is then picked up by our JavaScript and it is rendered on the search result page. Um, the only downside of this approach is that because the JavaScript is actually hosted with us, uh, the merchants get little control over what customizations they can do to this UIs. The second approach is uh, based on the Clevu, uh, using the Clevu's API. So here, like I said, that our JavaScript is firing an API call to our backend. A similar calls can be made by you. The only difference is here that you are not using our JavaScript templates, but you are taking responsibility of rendering uh, the results but you are still firing calls to our backend and obtaining all this JSON data. So this way you are still keeping data separate from the presentation layer. So the, just, just to make sure this understood for anybody in our audience who's not so technically minded, we're basically saying that the, the data that's coming out in terms of the, the search results recommendations is the same. It's just the level of control you've got over how that is presented on the page is the key difference. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. That's correct. Yeah. And because you are actually taking the responsibility of rendering results at your end, you have the full control of how you want to show those results. Yeah. Makes sense. And finally, the third method is uh, we have recently introduced um, a brand new uh, JavaScript library uh, that was implemented by us. And um, using this library, uh, it, it's basically uh, a set of uh, like, you know, uh, functions, uh, JavaScript functions, which you can use to make calls uh, to our backend. And uh, it also has a rendering engine. So you can uh, actually design your templates and show the results in there. Um, The difference here is that in the first method where we were hosting the JavaScript at our end, here you can download this entire JavaScript library at your end. So because you are keeping this copy of JavaScript library at your end, you have the full control of making any changes to your UIs. Again, it will remain the same. It will fire calls to our backend, fetch the data, and uh, using our library, you are showing the results uh, on your pages. As far as the PWA is concerned, uh, from the search perspective, uh, I think one of the most important aspects of PWA is offline search uh, that we have already implemented and it's available via our new JS library. Um, there are a couple of other features that we are currently working on. Um, 
for example providing notifications for the instances such as when you were searching for something and the products were out of stock now certainly the products have become in stock so your customers will actually receive notifications that you know you had searched for this and the products are now back in stock um, the another example of that could be that customers had searched something but they did not do anything i mean they did not buy anything and now the new arrivals uh, have come which are relevant to the same search query so our system can deliver notifications to the customer saying that new arrivals have arrived here sorry just to clarify on that then so they, yeah. it, if this means that i've run a search yeah um but since i've run that search there's new product matches for example on that search and then it's able to then notify me say hey look there's there's three new products available for your search x is that correct or? that's correct yes okay interesting yeah um, and again, I think uh, j just want to add here that what happens with PWA is that um, imagine that you know you are not uh, there in the browser anymore. Uh, using the PWA capabilities, um, even though you are looking at some other screen, uh, a notification come can come at the top of your screen, and when you hit on this notification you are basically taken back on the website uh, where you are actually looking at the results. So this is also a way to bring your customers back on the website. So notifications are very important. And uh, I think it's just one of the very nice features that we are working on. And the other thing is that again, with PWA, uh, it gives us opportunity to utilize um, the devices, the native devices functionalities such as using its camera, using its voice control. Um, so we are going to utilize them and we are getting ready uh, for the image and the voice search. Yeah, I'm interested in exploring the, the, the uh, um, especially the image search more, because I know that voice is still quite nascent and, and it's growing off a small base, but image search I've seen is quite important to certain uh, areas of retail. There's been some good use cases of it in um, like homewares such as Wayfair have done quite a nice job of doing it. I've seen it work well in, in things like wine and image, uh, like wine labels. Where are you seeing the demand coming from, from retailers? And, and you know, what are the key features that you're going to, to be enabling around the image search? So uh, as far as the image search is concerned, um, we have actually recently developed a prototype of that uh, whereby uh, the idea is that uh, when you upload an image um, we are trying to identify uh, that what is there in this image and um, we are actually uh, building a query based on that image and then firing that query in the back end uh, to, to get the relevant results. Uh, it's, it's important to understand that when we talk about image search, um, that there are mainly two different ways how it can be done. So one of the ways which I explained to you just now, uh, where you are taking an image and then you're building a query uh, from it, and then you're firing it in the backend. The other way is that when image is actually compared with other images in your catalog. With the second approach, you actually need, you actually need to build a 3D model of your image, of your product. Uh, it's because somebody may be uh, like, you know, the person who is actually uploading an image uh, for the image search, uh, they may have taken 
a picture from a particular angle. They may have taken uh, this image from a particular angle and which may not be matching with uh, the images which are stored in the backend. In our catalogs, we receive images from one angle only. So that is why uh, for the providers such as us, um, we rely on the first method where we take an image and we build a query and we fire it. Yeah, so uh, as I said, we have actually implemented a prototype and if anybody is interested in trying that out, uh, we'll be happy to give them a beta trial there. And how is, how is the, the technology working for the image? Like, do you, when you upload images from uh, Retails, do you, do you, does your tool automatically do like image tagging based on a knowledge bank? So it knows that, okay, there's a lamp and the lamp is silver and it's got three bulbs. How does that bit work? Or does the, do the retailers have to tag up their images to, to give more specific pointers to the machine? Uh, no, retailers don't have to do this at all. I mean, this is fully automatic. And as you said, uh, James, uh, when an image is uploaded, um, yes, the entire image is analyzed. Uh, however, uh, there are certain uh, assumptions made about the image. So for example, uh, where about uh, is, is that products? So if, if you're talking about a lamp, you wouldn't see that lamp appearing in the corner somewhere, right? It's, it's, it is going to cover the, the majority part of the image. So uh, that sort of analysis is done on the image and automatically these images are tagged. Uh, yeah, does it does it answer the, the the question, James? Yeah, it does. So, so yeah. I guess I guess the the machine is constantly learning from all the images it uploads, and it's able to then um, dynamically tag certain aspects based on. Uh, it is true. Matching. Yeah, yeah, and when it comes to building um, uh, building a model to to learn about the images, uh, I think uh, because we are actually given a catalog. Uh, where we have the information about the uh, not only the name of the product but we also have information about the various attributes of that which includes things such as like you know what's the material what's the color of that so the tagging of the images that they are providing uh, it, it makes it quite easy um, if, if i may just add one couple of points here Neeraj. Um, about the image search, one thing I kind of, you know, there's one caution I, I like to kind of offer to other e-com kind of retailers as well as providers who may use third-party image APIs. It's important to make sure that if you use a third-party APIs to, to analyze the image, they are kind of fully GDPR compliant because I have come across certain image analysis tools. So if you, for example, submit the catalog, then are they actually... Uh, removing the image once you delete the product, for example. So there are there are some concerns around that that one needs to be kind of you know a bit careful on that. Um, and on on the you actually initially uh, talked about a bit of voice search as well. And I think that's where truly I would say our expertise comes in in a way, because voice is all about natural language. And I think the the future, um, if you look at the Alexa, how it's kind of now turning Alexa into kind of you know Alexa shopping. That you can actually start doing as well in most countries. So the the voice search would uh, would actually be very very interesting and and right at our kind of you know street of interest um, as we as we go forward. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to ask a little bit more about that because you're right, it's, it's still early days of voice. Um, you know, the predictions that voice will be 50% by the end of the year is, seems a bit of a pipe dream, but it's definitely growing quickly and especially in some, air, in, in some verticals, the voice usage has grown massively. What I'd love to, I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners is from a search engine and technology point of view, what are the challenges understanding voice queries <laughs> how are you trying to, to work on that so what are some of the things that 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 you're able to do to support bearing about relevant results versus what is often just a seemingly random selection of matches absolutely um can i can i take this niraj yeah yeah please please so if, you, if you actually look at the current engines of the world most or we can say almost all of them are one query engines do you agree let's say you go to google and you search and you get some results. You go to Amazon, you search, you get some results, right? Yeah. So they all are one query engines. Now, when you go to voice, actually, in its own nature, voice cannot be one query engine. If you ask someone something, you don't just expect, you know, boom, here is the answer. You actually are expected to also respond back with some other question, right? And that part is extremely challenging. So uh, I'm looking for some, you know, nice chairs. Now, that's still very subjective, isn't it? You can just throw some chairs and then on Amazon or other retailers, you expect that, okay, people would filter and find what they want. But when you go to voice, people tend to actually say a lot. It means you're going to have a lot of natural language data from which you need to first understand. So that's the biggest challenge, which we have conquered, is to identify the key subject from whatever is being shared. Converting voice to text or digital data is not the biggest challenge. There are APIs out there which you can easily use to turn voice into digital data. But how do you understand what's the key subject here? And I think that's the first challenge. And the second challenge is that most voice-based engines kind of, you know, really break at the second level or third level of the questions currently. And I think there's a lot of research going on in IBM and, and also Amazon in that particular area that how do you kind of, you know, understand the questions? How do you respond back? How can system actually ask you question back from your query? And eventually, can system actually suggest you something on your question? So these are really, really interesting challenges. Um, and most research happening also in English specific as a language. I think we, being a European company, uh, of course, we've developed all the assets in English, but one of the areas where Neeraj actually had his PhD on was to how to transform linguistic resources from English to other non-English languages. So I, I would say that, you know, voice and natural language understanding on English, but also other languages would be a very interesting challenge ahead for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess that's the key thing is is the the natural language that people are using in voice it changes as as language styles change, and you've got to account for slang and different regional variations. It's not just country variations, but regional variations in language and wording. So it is a real challenge. But um, yeah, interesting. I'm I'm assuming that 
that for you guys it's just a constant evolution in terms of getting the machine to react to the changing nature of the query? Yeah, and, and I would be very personally very surprised if after two years even or three years, people would be actually doing that discovery on the site. I think it's, it's unlikely in my view. We are heading towards completely interface agnostic discovery, which is also going to be multi-sensory. And voice is kind of, you know, one of the inputs there, but there would be a lot more to see ahead. That makes sense. Um, so I have a question, slightly different um, area. So obviously um, the podcast is focused on replatforming um, and a big part of that is selecting an e-commerce platform. Um, so different platforms have different kind of capabilities around search and different levels of features and um, and kind of some of the things you're talking about there around machine learning, NLP. Um, some of the mainstream, or every year pretty much, a lot of the mainstream e-commerce platforms talk about improving their search capabilities. Um, how do you expect this to develop and do you see it as a threat to Clayview? I mean, I welcome all of that personally. Whenever there has been announcement by some particular platforms on, on improving search, we have received more interest than ever before. So. Um, is, I think the platforms are doing wonder, you know, wonderful job in my view, because they they not have only search to solve, right? But they have so many other challenges to to keep the store running, you know, with so many complex scenarios uh, in terms of scale and you know the core operations of the data and so on. Um, I, I I doubt that. I mean, of course, a platform can come up with a good one-time search kind of you know effort and and that's 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 good i think for very small retailers it would it would work actually very well however for one to be staying relevant for all the things we just said how the industry is evolving um i think for a platform to be able to stay kind of cutting edge in discovery is is a is a kind of a big ask in my view um companies like us and others as well in this area are in a way helping these platforms to accomplish their kind of bigger goal to, to have more conversion on the stores that are powered by their platforms. And, and we kind of 24 seven are only focusing on discovery personalization on the site through search and, and other discovery tools that we, that we work with. So it's, it's, it's a different kind of, you know, uh, challenge, different evolution, and different kind of you know mantra for us uh, internally, where we all we are always thinking about just one thing: discovery on the site, uh, which I think is the platforms do not have the same luxury, if I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think um, yeah, you're exactly right. Like any kind of specialist vendor is going to have a team obviously focused on product development where platforms it's never going to have that same level of priority um yep that makes perfect sense um james i think you were going to ask a question around the roadmap yeah the, a couple of things i'll be really interested um to hear from from, from both of you on uh, nila niraj is, is basically what what currently what feedback are you currently getting from e-commerce teams about what they want from search where you know you've identified new opportunities to enhance the product and then also what's your own roadmap that you're trying to drive forward because i think it's really interesting for our listeners to hear about what other e-commerce teams are trying to do and want versus what you're driving forward yourselves as the search specialist yeah i mean everything in clear what we have done 
is, is entirely based on listening from the partners and customers. So they, they may not tell us exactly what they want, but they always describe what they are looking for and, and how, what is their problem? You know, how can, what can we help with them? And I think everything we have done in Clevo has come through that, those conversations. Um, we, we have been learning great deal from our customers in the area of, uh, you know, I mean, in, in terms of search, we are exactly kind of, you know, hearing the needs on the kind of what's, what's coming up in the future. How can we, you know, go for this, this voice led search or, you know, can we use your NLP technology to, you know, parse the queries much better at, at some mega scale, for example, on a, on a large auto part supplier type of scenario. Uh, languages, other languages are also coming to us that how we, how we can help them. On the merchandising side of the search and, and, and the navigation of the site, we are getting loads of inquiries on, on that. And we are seeing that um, many retailers are now interested in optimizing the actual navigation within search and outside search on the site and, and sort of use machine learning for that uh, with, with visual aspects of that. Um, so, and, and, and there are a lot of small things also coming, but very interesting and very important. For example, in B2B uh, cases, we are getting that, you know, we have the, each product, let's say, has 1,000 list prices. How can you handle that? So there are some really interesting and complex scenarios. I was talking the other day with, with one auto uh, part supplier, and he was having a uh, constraint that there's, there are 3 million products with each product having thousands of different attributes and kind of, you know, uh, you know, subparts. How how can you help us to extract relevant parts when our customers actually come to the site and, and ask for something? So, yeah, it's there are very interesting challenges we come across and, and we, we listen to all of them and then prioritize, uh, you know, the items that go into our backlog. And, and that goes to our uh, roadmap. So at this stage, we, we recently launched something called category, smart category merchandising, whereby of course, we learn from search, but we actually provide data science-led navigation uh, on the site as well. So for each category on, on the store, um, we are currently working on, um, you know, further advancement into that. We are bringing a lot in, in kind of this year, the, one of the biggest things we have done is kind of ultra personalization, kind of taking personalization to kind of very next level using collaborative personalization modeling for that. And that's kind of really coming out pretty soon. Um, and then other things we have been kind of working on are kind of very advanced merchandising and visual kind of merchandising features, bringing true data science-led kind of, you know, recommendations at some point as well. That's sort of, you know, a roadmap. Um, we very, very um, actively working with other tech ecosystem and partners and we, we build bridges via software so that, for example, with Dot Digital, um, by using Clevo, you could actually enhance your email marketing, um, you know, ROI as well. And we have a software-led bridge between Clevo and Dot Digital, and we are working with a number of such uh, players at the moment uh, in the industry. And of course, we invest heavily into internal. We call them special projects, and take risks. And, and develop some novel ways of discovery and, and keep bringing that to shoppers and customers. But Neeraj, uh, if you want to add uh, something specific, please uh, please do feel free. And 
Uh, yeah, Nile, I, I think you, you've covered most of the things. Um, I, I just want to uh, add one thing here is that uh, so far, uh, as, as a Clevu, we have been focusing quite a lot on productizing our features. Uh, what it basically means is that how do we provide easy interfaces uh, for somebody to use a feature? Uh, but one of the things that we are focusing quite a lot uh, in this year is going to be becoming more and more developer friendly. So we are going to open up uh, quite a lot of, uh, we've already uh, published our new version of the API. Uh, we are releasing the JavaScript, uh, as I said, the new version of the JavaScript over there. Uh, we are going to add more and more libraries and SDKs uh, in our GitHub repository so that developers can use them at their will and uh, they should have all the flexibility to build uh, amazing search experiences as they wish. Um, Anirish, can you say some specific example on, on personalization that we are about to launch? Um, so I was going to ask that question. So I think um, what I meant by it was, um, when when it comes to kind of personalizing the search experience um kind of which uh, similar question to earlier i guess around the kind of machine learning point um but how kind of which actions and data points do you plan to personalize based on so for example if i was on the srl uh, or the results page and i was filtering by specific brands would you then personalize based on that and then also uh, would you be looking to personalize based on data outside of search or would it or would you be kind of starting from just search data yeah um there are actually uh, four different venues how the personalization uh, can be achieved. So number one is that when somebody is searching on the website, they are going through the different categories or they're uh, clicking certain products. That's, that's some sort of impression that you are leaving behind. And uh, what we are focusing on is that when a search query is fired, uh, we actually uh, use this data, what you have done recently, and we try to build a profile based on that. And that tells us that you know you may be after a particular brand, you may be after um, uh, a particular color, for example. So when we talk about the attributes, yes, uh, we we identify what is it exactly that that you are after, uh, and personalize results based on that. The the second way of doing that is that we do not have enough data, uh, recent data to to create or to come to any conclusion that you know what exactly you are after, but we have the search query. Now, search query uh, is it's like, you know, it's you're basically telling us what exactly you are looking for. So the, the only thing that we need to figure it here out is that um, what you would like. And one of the things as Nila said, is it's a collaborative filtering method where we take that query, we see what others have done in past, uh, if we do not have any historical data from, from your end, then we rely on others activity and we figure it out that, you know, the others had like this set of products, you may like this, and that's how we present it. Uh, the, the third thing is that uh, we, we are relying on merchants to tell us that, you know, what exactly uh, you feel 
uh, is important for your domain. So for example, uh, on a particular domain, a brand may be very, very important. If merchant tells us that, you know, from our do for our domain, brand is very important, then while creating this personalized profile, we would give higher preference to the brand attribute. So in this case, we are relying on some input provided by the merchant. And finally, uh, as, as Nilay mentioned, that uh, we are partnering with uh, other technology partners. Uh, some of them have access to uh, customers' profiles. They actually know that which segments they belong to, uh, what is their purchasing power, or uh, they might have collected some information on their likings of the customer. So when we are working with these technology partners, we are trying to uh, rely on this information that these third party partners can provide to us and use that to personalize the search results. One final thing I would like to add here is that um, the product noun, the, the, the particular subject uh, that the customer is after is very important. Uh, and so for example, so far the customer has been searching for iPhones and we have built a profile based on the product that they clicked on after searching for iPhone. Now, certainly if they search for iPhone cover, everything that they have clicked on suddenly become very irrelevant. So that's why uh, we are not only building profiles based on individual customer, but for that one customer, we will be building profiles around a particular product noun that they are looking for. Paul, does it, does it answer uh, how, how the personalization is being achieved? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. yeah, some really good points and that's exactly what, um, what I meant, perfect. Excellent. Well, that's covered all the questions that I had in my mind and actually even more. Um, how about yourself, Paul? Is there anything else that you wanted to ask? No, I think that's really good. Really good kind of, um, yeah, introduction to some of the key parts of Claver and also, like you say, e-commerce best practice for search. Um, no, I think that's really good. Excellent. Um, well, uh, a massive thank you to both of you, Nilay and Niraj, for taking the time to join the podcast. Um, and share the uh, share your insights. Hope it. I uh, hope it's been an enjoyable process for you. Yep. Thank you very much. Um, and I guess from a follow up point of view, if anybody is interested in um, finding out more about Clayview, how it works, um, what what who should they contact? How could they contact you guys? Yeah. I mean, I think the the best uh, if you want to see Clayview in action or want to see you know which customers we serve, I think the best source of course is Clayview.com. Um, at Clevo Search is our Twitter handle, so you know anyone can ask any question there, or we can we can we are contactable there, and of course contact at Clevo.com is also there. So, but I would say the Clevo.com would be the best kind of you know point of reference uh, to to find more. Cool, uh, and thank you everybody as always for listening in. I hope you found that and uh, useful insights uh, into enterprise e-commerce search and specifically to Clevo and the technology stack and, and some of the interesting uh, new areas in which search is evolving into um, around like voice, NLP, etc. So any questions from myself and Paul? Uh, Paul's got a lot more knowledge of, of, of Clayboo specifically than I have, but please do feel, to, uh, feel free to reach out. 
Uh, Paul, anything else you want to add before we wish everyone a, a good evening? I don't think so. Um, thanks, Nuraj and Nile, for joining. Um, yeah, really good episode. And I think that, yeah, it'll be interesting to see some of this stuff as well when it's released over the next few months. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Paul and James. Thank you.